You are listening to the Pedal Fit Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. This episode is brought to you by the Wausau 24. It's a 6, 12, and 24-hour mountain bike race on July 30th to 31st at Nine Mile Forest in Wausau, Wisconsin. You can head over to wausau24.com. That's number 24, so wausau24.com for more information. They are offering up 15% off for listeners. You only have a few days left. It's good until July 15th. If you type in the code July 15 at registration, you get 15% off. I can vouch for the Wasa 24 from a lot of experience. I've raced in the 6-hour category, 12-hour category, the 24-hour category, both in solo and team. It's a great experience. It never fails to deliver. The course is good. The vibe is great. And it's just an all-around great experience. And the number of people coming back every year, you see friends, you see people you've raced several years ago. It's just a great all-around experience. And um, I'm going back again this year. So I would recommend it. Head over to wasa24.com. Get signed up. Use the code JULY15. Get yourself 15% off. And I will see you there. Welcome, Mountain Bike Radio listeners. This is Natalie Collins, uh, and welcome to Pedal Fit PT Podcast. This is our first episode, and I feel very privileged to be a part of this radio station. Um, send out a couple thank yous to Ben, uh, who's um, a, a tremendous host of the station, and then Matt and Andrea, who have welcomed me on their show uh, to break the ice and anxiety and get this thing started. And then, most importantly, Kevin Mastin, who um, is here to fight the good fight uh, and speak the good word about the human body and movement. So, welcome, yeah, and, Kevin. And, and ditto on your thanks to Andrea and Matt and, and Ben. So... Today, we will start our first episode, and Kevin and I have spent a good amount of time talking about how do we speak to people that we don't know. Uh, And that's going to be a lot of fun because uh, we're both very passionate about bringing a word to um, a radio station and and podcast to help people move move forward and move forward well. And, And that's really what this podcast will be about. So... Um, I'll let Kevin introduce himself and tell a little bit about um, how we know each other, and then I'll jump right back in and talk about the objectives of the podcast. Um, yeah, my background is um, in relation to Natalie. Is I met her uh, a few years ago when I was in the bike industry managing a bike shop, and she quickly became our go-to person for um, for bike fitting. And so since then, we've gotten to be closer and gotten to be good friends and she's helped me with probably half a dozen of my bikes now at least (laughs) and um and some shoulder issues and some elbow issues and some other things and so um i'm here because i've um, seen the light as it relates to (laughs) the importance of a of a bike fit and being that i've checked kevin head to toe uh and how he moves and he's a tremendous athlete and uh, a great representation of who I think um, most people want to be in the way of movement. So um, to introduce myself, I'm a physical therapist. I work here in Denver, live in Golden, um, have been very privileged to 
start my own little venture called Pedal Fit. I'm a professional bike fitter trained with Bike PT, uh, the group out in Seattle. And uh, I should send them a thanks as well. Eric Moen, great fella and um, wonderful advocate and mentor. So that's why I'm doing this. Uh, actually, that's that's part of why I'm doing this. The other part is that information available um, can be a bit challenging, be it online or, um, well, mainly through the intranet. And uh, I'd really like to be able to be a, a good resource for people um, to feel better, move better, be healthier, um, but more efficient. That's the big thing about this podcast is more efficient, more effective, and how to do that. So um, first question, Kevin, what do you think? What is Bring it d- on. D- define more efficient? What does that mean? Okay, so more efficient. Uh, that's that's really the goal, um, and that takes some responsibility. So when we talk about being more efficient as a mover, we want to address the environment and moving. So separating how we interact um, on the bike, off the bike, uh, at our jobs, how we sit, how we lift something from the floor. Um, uh, let's see, some other things ideas how we uh, ride a stationary bike so efficient isn't necessarily um faster it's it's deeper than that right well it's certainly faster i I would say that if you're not a good mover you're not going to go very fast and if you go very fast you're not going to go very fast for very long yeah um and you're going to feel like crap which is awful so being efficient i would say is a better return on investment So if you're going to go out and you're going to run your your mountain bike for three hours, you want to feel great. Right. You want to feel good about it emotionally. You want to feel good about it physically. And you don't want to have a bunch of consequences because of it. So it's preventative and performance related when you say efficiency. Yeah. I I suppose I haven't broken it down quite like that, but exactly. Okay. That's that's a perfect way of saying it. Um, And when I talk about efficiency as it relates to exactly what, I'm speaking about, I would say more how to invest in yourself and get the most return. So, you know, if you're spending, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes a day stretching and you feel like you have to stretch every single day to ride your bike, or you have to stretch every single day after you get off the bike, but you don't feel that you're getting better. You just feel like you're staying the same and you're dependent on it. There's an issue there. That's not efficient. You know, you're not getting better. You're, you're staying the same or not getting worse potentially. Um, I don't find that to be efficient. I, f- I find that to be a big pain in the butt. <laughs> Personally, I don't want to have to stretch um, for 15 minutes doing the exact same stretches uh, right. every time I do that to not feel like crap on the bike. You know, in the athletic world, if we're talking about a dynamic warm-up, again, we won't go too far down that road, but a dynamic warm-up can be much more beneficial. I don't think that that's really what I'm trying to get to in the way of how do you prepare for your event? It's more, how do you not feel like crap? You know, how do you not feel like your whole muscle um, tissue system is really bundled up and, and, and grimy, you know, how do you avoid um, aging disgracefully? (laughs) You know, how do do you age well? Right. And I think a lot of people do and they hit that mark of, Oh my gosh, I'm getting older. I feel junky um at different points you know some people hit it 
pretty early, maybe in their 20s, potentially because they're really bad movers or potentially because they're more mindful of how they're moving. And they think, wow, my body is changing. I can't move as easily as I used to. Let me do something about it. Or somebody who gets all the way down the road and, you know, your tissue is contracted and um, you don't have full range of motion through a lot of these joints. It's more of a capsule problem. So the actual capsule or the tissue right around the joint that protects you from just dislocating, you know, subluxing at any moment really, really tightens up because you just haven't been using those four corners of that joint. That's a different feeling. Um, and, and we want to avoid that. You know, you don't want to feel like that. If you're somebody who already feels like that, don't feel hopeless. That's what, you know, we're going to try to provide with this podcast is how to not feel like crap, <laughs> how to feel awesome and how to know that you feel awesome. You know, a lot of people, if we've had, you know, soreness through our backs all of our lives and worn our, our shoulders as earrings, we don't know what good feels like. So how do you learn how to feel good? Um, and then what, why, why would you, (laughs) why would you even do that? You know, I think with nutrition, uh, it's a little bit easier to figure that out. Well, looks, um, or uh, potentially, um, I can't focus. You know, I'm eating too much sugar. I can't focus. When it comes to the body, I'm not sure people know. And I I also don't want to downplay the fact that most people don't know how to eat well. Um, That's something I'm personally trying to learn right now as well. My sister is a dietitian, um, a wonderful one, and a wonderful sister, of course. Um, And then the Apex Nutrition Show. Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's some wonderful information out there. And so I'm that's certainly a project of mine. Um, but in the same way, I don't think people know how to be healthy physically. Um, and, and we've always thought, oh, we stretch or, um, you know, we stretch or we go see a physical therapist or we go see a medical professional to put out a fire. But traditionally, there's not been a whole lot of, um, cost and not just cost in the way of money, but cost in the way of responsibility with healthcare. Right. You know, healthcare has dramatically changed since I've been a healthcare professional over the last six and a half years. So, um, I really think that this would be a great solution for that is that that big shift in responsibility and accountability. What do I do? You know, traditionally we just go in and trust whoever we see. And, you know, you might go in and spend 15 minutes with a healthcare professional, whoever that is, and they're providing you a solution for the immediate fire that you have. Right. And we want to get into some preventative type stuff, or at least I do, because yes. I've rocketed into middle age and want to make sure that I stay as active as I am um, for the next 20 years, 30 years. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the, I would argue that it's the same way in bike fitting. Um, people don't typically don't know what riding a bike well feels like right I mean, they just don't they might know how See it, it feels every day on every, oh, yeah. every road ride i've yeah right and those are the people that you can obviously tell you know when they're crunched down and and their knees are in their belly or they're hanging off one end of their saddle um and, and pointing their toe to reach the absolute right. bottom part of the pedal stroke or you know they're stretched out they look like they're um planking while they're yeah. riding their bike i mean you know that's those are the obvious people, but to really have perfection in how you feel on the bike, there is such a thing. You know, you can really burn up your muscles and not feel like crap afterwards. So that's the beauty of it, I suppose. For sure. 
What else was on your on oh your yeah, list? yeah yeah so we're not we're not scripted with this we're really trying to um, I think freelance is the term that I'm looking for here we're we're trying to freelance things and that does become a bit tough because we don't know what people want to hear we don't know how much you know anatomy physiology physical therapy lingo that people can tolerate um, and for a lot of folks who haven't had a daily program who haven't really been investing in themselves like they brush their teeth or, or maybe do some yoga, maybe do some, some cold static stretching. Um, maybe I've had a bike fit. This could be a very new topic for a lot of people. And, right. um, so send in your questions or you're just going to be stuck listening to, to mine basically, <laughs> which are always great questions. And it brings up a really, um, a uh, fun topic of how we started this podcast, which involved beer and very long discussions about bike fitting. And Kevin likes to provoke um, me to get pretty passionate about talking about bike fitting, about physical therapy. And it's very easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> My life is just a whole digression of um, beating a drum. And that's what I feel like I do daily. I beat a drum. Um, and that drum is, is, Hey, take responsibility for your body, have some accountability and feel good on your bike. Yeah. Well, I think the challenge is, as it relates to bike fitting is there's a lot of people out there that have never, they've never had a bike fit. Um, or maybe they're, Maybe they're both a road cyclist and a mountain biker. Um, they've had a, a fit on their road bike, but not their mountain bike. And so uh, that was one of the things that I ran into quite a bit in the in the shop was people were just having experiences on their bike that were either bad or not as not as great as they could be. Right. And so um, in terms of in terms of the importance of a bike fit, I would I would say if you're just a recreational cyclist it's the most important thing that you that you can do if you're a racer and you want to get faster then yeah you can spend money on carbon wheels and a power meter and you probably should but um you should definitely include a bike fit as as part of that um of of part of what you what you're going to do to to get faster right I, i don't think anyone rides their bike to be unhealthy and i don't know that people know how unhealthy they are while riding their bike um and I don't blame any one person for that. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, that person's just cheap and they don't want to bike fit. No, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that the value has been out there. Maybe there is valuable um, bike fitters. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But um, I don't think that the the value has been portrayed like it should be. You know, you think about knee over pedal spindle and what's my general posture, you know, yeah. posture in quotation marks. Um it goes way, 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 way beyond that. Well, there's certainly cheap customers that <laughs> would never would never think about paying for a bike fit. But right. there's there's just some people you can't you can't help no matter what. So Yeah, and, um, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, I can't say you know that 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 has never happened. Unfortunately, what happens is if you're somebody who's cheap but stubborn, and and when we say cheap, let's not just talk about the the financial cost of it. Let's talk about the time, the energy, um, the cognitive load, which is a really, really important concept. But And then also the money. I mean, I'm not being... And um, define cognitive load. Well, cognitive load briefly. is... So when I have somebody come in to my studio... Brain damage? Yes. Yeah. brain. Well, irresponsibility. Right. And accountability. 
it's real traditionally, again, going back to the first topic, we have been able to not take much accountability in our own care. The only account- accountability we've had is who do I choose to go to to see about this issue? And um, should I encourage them to give me an MRI or not, you know, or, or an x-ray? And then thinking back on, did they give me the right medication? You know, how does this compare to what my friends have had? Does this compare to what I read online? Right. That's different. That is very reactive and that's very expensive. Can, you know? can we, can we talk about our, <laughs> our other host from one of the other shows is her. Oh, Andrea. Yeah. Is that, a, is that. Sure. I, I don't her? think she would mind. She's a, she's a good case study for what you're talking about right now. And, okay. and, and the, from the standpoint of the time and the money that she spent going down different paths to try to, um, alleviate pain and, and address an injury, if injury is the right word. Yeah, I would call it a rabbit hole is yeah. what I would call it. And it's no one's fault that they get stuck in it. It really isn't. It's traditionally how we have approached healthcare. Um, we've had to for a lot of different reasons. You know, there's this triangle of you have the, the patient or the person who's experiencing the problem. You have the healthcare provider, whoever that is, orthopedic surgeon, physical therapist, um, your primary care physician, chiropractor, massage therapist, whoever it is. I'm missing, you know, thousands of different practitioners when I say that, but, um, and then you have insurance. And so we've, we've had this ongoing, how do we balance this triangle? Whose responsibility is it? How much do we need to be doing, um, to really help this, this individual, you know, and it's a rabbit hole. That's what it is. And so you're trying to find, well, it can be a mess. It very well can be. It depends on the filter you go through. So if you're somebody who, or, or not even to start placing blame on, on one type of person, but if you fall into a system that is more like a pipe, (laughs) you know, and you're just riding this, this pipe down the way, you're trying to do the right thing. You know, you're trying to find the right information, go to the right person, but, um, that's a lot more dangerous. That's more of a rabbit hole. Whereas if you approach it early on, and you approach it more like a filter. So there's going to be maybe some energy, maybe some time, uh, maybe some cognitive load for me to get off on the right foot. Then you could potentially avoid that rabbit hole. So can you talk a little bit about, um, I mean, not just not just bike fit and how to find somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, if you're in Colorado or even a surrounding state, you should obviously make an appointment with Natalie, um, <laughs> in my opinion, but if somebody is in, you know, they're in California, they're East coast, West coast, wherever, mm-hmm. where do they, where do they start for, for information about, about bike fit movement? Um, how do you, how do you vet information? Um, because there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, there's once so you, much once out you there. consult Dr. Google, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's another, it's another kind of rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and so what's, where do you, where does somebody begin if they don't know where to, where to begin? Where to begin. So, you know, my bias, I'm a physical therapist, so I address things the way a physical therapist would address them. Okay. Um, and what I would recommend is, uh, a nifty little way to kind of get around the system slash do an awesome, awesome job of being an advocate for yourself is call up a physical therapy clinic that you know is a good clinic. 
uh, either you've experienced some good care from them or uh, maybe a friend has or what have you, really check online. I mean, I'm not saying that that reviews aren't a good thing to check. I think you should check reviews. Um, but use your judgment because the people reviewing those <laughs> folks might feel like, I don't want to do anything at home. All I want to do is feel better. And, you know, I don't like this clinic. So, you know, use your judgment, use your own filter, but check reviews, find a good physical therapist. Um, some of the physical therapists out there might not like me saying this, but try to get in, pay cash. Okay. So I mean, um, everybody likes to hear well, that. Well, right. So the part I was going to say was try to make the last appointment of the day. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if you go in as somebody who wants to get better and wants to invest in themselves and investigate how you move and if your movement is quality or not, um, and you want to find your crappy joints and your, um, you know, weak sauce, uh, tissue, that physical therapist is going to love you and they're probably going to want to spend a little bit more time with you. Um, the reason why I say, uh, pay cash is because if you, let's say you come in and you're like, ah, you know, since I was 20, I've had this right knee that was cranky. And so I, I think that I would want to start there because I know, and I identify with that pain. So, hey, physical therapist, can you help me with this right knee pain? If you go in that first day and that therapist actually says, well, you know, I'll tell you what, it's really more your T11, um, you know, left facet joint, just to throw out weird terms. Um, let's address that. You're not bound by that insurance company. So you can jump all over the board and uh, address dysfunction. And so, I'm not saying you need to go in traditionally and have two appointments a week for six weeks paying cash. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying go in, tell that physical therapist what you want is a palate. You want to know and identify a couple of dysfunctions. And if you really like that person and you think they do an awesome job, you might have them show you some stuff at home. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you've got at least you're starting down that filter. You're starting to identify, hey, this is where I have a problem and this is where I don't. It's just like going to the dentist. We do that, you know, right. twice a year. So then how do you how do you start the process? Let's say let's say you roll out of bed every morning and your shoulder hurts. Yeah. At what point do you check in with a physical therapist versus your family physician or your nurse practitioner that you see on a regular basis. I mean, what's the filter for, Oh, this, this problem is something that I should ask my family doc about mm -hmm. this problem. I should call a physical therapist and, and talk to them. What's the, yeah. Well, again, I'm very biased, um, but I went to school and I got a doctorate of physical therapy. And the reason why physical therapy switched to a doctorate, um, I don't know if the, the American Physical Therapy Association will feel like I give a complete answer to this, but I would certainly give it my best try. Um, the reason we went to a doctorate is to be more qualified professionals mm -hmm. so that if you come in as somebody with a shoulder problem and actually it's your liver, then we can identify that that's out of our scope of practice and send you back to your, your um, family practice. Family practice physicians have become very, very busy and in, in, um, in a lot of ways unable to... Uh, stay up with the demand. So it's been a really nice transition to be able to have direct access to physical therapy. Right. Direct access to physical therapy is not, it, well, it's dependent on the state. Okay. Most uh, states have direct act access. You can walk right off the street and go to a physical therapist. You don't need a script. The only holdup in that system is whether or not your insurance allows you to do that. Um, I would just take a really 
bad guess and say maybe 50% uh, to 75%, again, depending on the state um, of insurance companies allow you to do that because they see the value. Hey, you know what? It saves right. a lot of money for you to get to the healthcare professional that is is your best bet. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting in my circle of friends that I ride with, um, there's at least one doctor in there. Right. And when people sort of bring up issues, uh, I'm trying to think how to word this, but he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he's willing to tell people to seek advice from a physical therapist, um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Whereas when people bring up other, other types of, um, medical practices, um, he's not so willing to, to jump into, into, uh, supporting them. So, sure. and this is probably a good time to mention that, um, I'm certainly not a doctor and any, anything, any, any advice that we give on this podcast is, is not meant to be specific medical advice for, for any one individual. Right. And, and I think that, you know, we've recorded this podcast several times actually. Uh, and the reason why it was all my fault and it's because I, um, couldn't figure out the message that I really wanted to deliver to people. I mean, I really value, uh, time and I realized that listening to an entire podcast of, me, Natalie Collins, speaking about things that I'm really, really passionate about is um, very generous to to donate your time. So I want to be able to give back to people. And I really want this to um, catalyze a, a great change in in everyone's life. Now, will that happen? I don't know. But I certainly think that we have the tools to provide to people. Um, but at the same time, I was too hung up on the fact that, oh, I don't want to say this on air because then Joe might be the wrong person for that information. And then, and then Joe might take that information too far and have an issue. Well, you know, be an advocate for yourself. That's, that's what you have to do. This, this information is not for one person. Um, unfortunately, we can't do that. I wish we could. I do that in my studio every day. And then I take that information of basically the, the general dysfunctions that I see every day. And then that's what's going to be on the podcast. So I'm a little bit more driven about the message that we'll deliver. Uh, but you still have to be responsible. You know, just like if you're reading Google, please know you're reading Google. <laughs> right. um, you know, please know you're, lis- you're listening to this podcast. And if you have questions or concerns, reach out to the Mountain Bike Radio Group or myself. Um, and we'll try to help you figure some things out. But, but do be careful. Are all physical therapists doctors? No, not all physical therapists are doctors. And, um, um, you know, every, there's no such thing as a McDonald's in physical therapy, right? So, uh, not every cheeseburger is the same. And, um, you have to decide if your personality and the way you approach, um, movement is resonating with the person you're seeing. Um, I'm not perfect. No one else is perfect. We can only, um, do, you know, certain things. So, um, make sure that, you know, you approach it that way and you should approach every healthcare professional that way. Same thing with bike fit. Oh, absolutely. I I think it's safe to say that not all bike fitters are physical therapists. Well, right. And, and that's okay. Right. You know, it, if you're someone who doesn't want to take any accountability off the bike and, um, you don't realize that the reason why you have right hip and groin pain that travels down to the lateral aspect of your knee, the outside of your knee is actually because you have a lumbar or a back dysfunction. Then you're taking a system that's not in stasis. That's really not a healthy system. And you're also, 
low cognitive load. So you don't, you're not able to really take accountability for the way you're moving. You take that and that instability dynamic situation, and you take it to somebody who also can't identify that you're in big trouble. Well, if you take, if, if you do have a lot of responsibility and you have really invested in yourself and you do have a, an excellent concept slash you're a physical therapist yourself, then go to whoever you want so, to because so you'll correct, be able to Correct know. me if I'm wrong, but what yeah. you're saying is just because your knee hurts doesn't mean it's your knee that there's an issue with. It could be, it could be a back thing. It could be exactly. something else. And you're probably going to be able to, you're not going to be able to track that down. Um, but a good physical therapist, um, who, they're going to have a they're going to have a better shot of figuring that out than someone who does bike fit by the by the numbers basically yeah, yeah. yes exactly and we again default to physical therapy i'm not saying that there are other aren't other great conservative management uh healthcare specialists out there you know one thing i'll digress just for a second about is learn how to sort through the bullshit that is the most important part of moving forward okay so if we dangerous information is information that is barely scientific or has some sort of scientific connection, but actually is not true. You know, so when we talk about something like detoxing and I'm not going to try to open up that whole um, situation because I don't know that much about detoxing, but um, you know, what's the scientific proof if you're putting your feet in water and it's this electrically charged water and it turns to a, a brown matter? Does that mean that you're pulling out the toxins of your body? Well, I'm not sure because I'm not a scientist in that way, but um, I've read a, a, a really nice book um, called, I think it's called Bad Science. Um, and I'll have to, I'll, I'll put this on um, the little write-up about the podcast, but it, it's a wonderful book because it helps you differentiate between information out there that looks really sexy and looks like it's correct and is really, really wrong, that's incredibly dangerous, you know? Um, and it, it's not just dangerous because, oh yes, there's a placebo effect to that. Well, certainly there's a placebo effect, but if you're spending your time, money, energy, and your cognitive load on something that's a waste of time, your placebo effect is, is going to be junk after a while. So again, learning how to filter through everything that's out there, um, is, is so of utmost importance. The bike forums might not be the best place to sort out your, uh, your personal bike fit issues. Well, not even talking about bike fit because, you know, no one just goes straight to bike fit. <laughs> bike fit is not bike fit. Right. Bike fit is medical. I mean, that's what it is, okay. you know? So if you read these forums, people aren't saying, Hey, you know, I've just realized that my pedaling mechanics suck and then that's it. Right. That would be fine potentially, but what's happening is, Hey, I'm having knee pain or Hey, I'm having back pain. What do, um, you know, every, what does everybody else think about this? And then you have people they, who they think you need to move your saddle up or down. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that, is that's dangerous. So then you have a bunch of people who admit that, you know, I'm not really qualified to say this. And they say that in there, you know, that's th those, um, it's so easy to just move that saddle though. Right. It's so easy or it's so easy to buy a new saddle. It's so easy to, uh, switch out your bars or, you know, shorten your stem or raise it up in the air 45 degrees. And, but those are wrong. Right. I mean, you know, or they may be right, but you don't, you don't know. 
It may it may only be part of the part of the solution. Well, or they could be failures or, or, because yeah, yeah, if you think about so if we look at the the studies about discs in the lumbar spine, right? So what loads a disc more? What loads a disc less? You know, discs is a hot topic. Everybody wants to hear about that. So, um, well, if I were going to load that disc, I would sit in a chair and I would lift the heaviest thing that I could possibly lift with really, really bad posture. So, okay, great. Well, how much are we unloading the spine actually as we drop into a lower, more aerodynamic or aggressive position on the bike? Well, potentially for some people, actually less. We're actually loading that lumbar spine a little bit less. So, if instead for that person who as a prescription would benefit from being just in a better relationship to their bottom bracket, if they go out and they raise their stem, they put spacers under their, their stem or they raise it way up in the air, you could actually be making yourself worse. Right. And that's what I find. From a, from a, a disc in your back standpoint, but, but you may create other issues if you exactly. try to. Other get, victims. Yeah. If you try to get too arrow, then, you know, maybe you, maybe you alleviate pressure in your spine, but you create issues somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe your neck can't sustain that position. Um, you know, typically nobody can go from one position to another position and just be a, a, a perfect posture and a sustainable posture. And again, I'm using posture in quotation marks, but you are the product of many, many things, right? From your top of your head to the you know, end of your toe, you're a product of all kinds of different, um, movements. And so that's a really drastic change, you know, and that could be the issue, but, um, bike fit is, is really, really unique because we're not supposed to ride bikes. We're just not as human bodies. I mean, I, I do. Says who? Right. Well, we used to walk on our hands and now we don't. So, (laughs) you know, says how we've changed. Um, I don't know. Please don't quote me on the whole evolution thing. I'm, uh, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to get political or religious here, but the point is, um, you know, we don't, that's not how we move. That's not how we're supposed to move healthy. So then we take a movement that really the human body is not designed for and we crunch it even more into a position. We say, okay, here are your contact points. Go do with it what you want to do. So when you say, when you say that's not how we're supposed to move, you're comparing walking or running with cycling or are you comparing it with something else? Well, it's just not how our joints are designed. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's not so much that I'm comparing it. Well, I guess I, I'm comparing it to walking because that's our, probably our most natural position, that's, that's walking, default, standing. Right? Yeah. That's our default. Um, that's how our spine is loaded the best. That's how our hips are loaded the best, all those things. That's how we get our best proprioception. Um, meaning that's how we know where we are in space. And so, you know, if you think about it, our body was again, designed to stand up straight and then that's how gravity, our body adapted to gravity, right? So that's why we have a, a, a curve in our spine. That's why we're not just poles. Okay. Um, our body has, has, is best suited for gravity. So when you take that gravity and you move it, and, and you change the trunk position, you change the um, impact into the hands, you change the neck position, you really take gravity and you separate gravity into multiple different pulls, right? So now you're pulling on the neck, now you're pulling on the back, now you're pulling on, um, you know, all these different and things. And you've added contact points on your butt and on your hands that aren't right. present when you're walking. Exactly. Well. Yeah. And so when we talk about contact points, if you're somebody who's really sensitive to the whole barefoot movement and you need impact from the ground and all those things, I mean, 
they're completely different contact points. Right. So now we have a little bitty area, surface area of contact onto our foot. And then I've met very few people who actually sit on their saddle well or have their saddle tilted in the, the right position or who actually use both ischial tuberosities or sit bones on both sides of their saddle. Typically people sit on one ischial tuberosity and hang the rest of the junk off the other side. Um, Topic for 10 more podcasts. Exactly. Exactly. But the important part is that we are habitually telling ourselves, Hey, this is how I want you to be. And now I want to go out and I want to put 90 revolutions per minute as a um, goal of cadence. And we have trained our brain to do that. So you might have somebody again talking about why you can't just have a drastic change in a bike fit and expect to be a tremendous mover. Um, we have already trained our brain that we like to hang our right ischial tuberosity sit bone off and let it just kind of flop there. And, and that's what we're going to try to do potentially once we have a different position on our bike. So not just identifying, Hey, you look like crap posture wise. Um, you know, you're reaching too much, you're too low, you're too high, your knee angles wrong. Yes. But what is happening between those contact points? How is your body going to tolerate that? You know, what systems are in place to be able to, um, adapt to that? And those are the things that are, that are missed. And you asked about flexibility. I think in the very beginning, we talk about flexibility. What does flexibility even mean? Well, I'm not sure the exact definition, to be honest with you, but in my mind, flexibility is muscle length. How long is your muscle? Um, what we typically miss with that is mobility stability. You know, how well do you control a movement? Because if you're sloppy and you're going in and crushing your bones into your soft tissue, every time you try to um, move a joint, your body's not going to go to that end range of the joint. That feels like crap. You're not going to do it. So then what you're going to do is you're going to hang out right in the middle of that range of motion. Well, by hanging out in the middle of the range of motion, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. You know, that is Wolf's law. You do, you do lose it. You're going to lose mobility. So flexibility is, is, there's no, there's no one defined standard. Everybody's going to be a little bit different based on their body type and their type of activity that they, that they do on a regular well, basis. Well, let's, let's get away from the definition and, and the term flexibility and talk more about, um, just movement. So range of motion. When we talk about a range of motion of the joint, that is dependent on how your bone structures allow, are designed. Okay. So for your knee, you have less um, uh, directions of movement than you do your hip. Mm-hmm. So less margin of error um, in terms of you controlling your, your movement, but more likely to be damaged if there's, um, you know, an impact that your, your joint can't handle. Higher margin of error in something like your hip because you have so many directions of movement. So you have so many different ways that you need to control that movement. The hip is influenced very, very, very heavily by the back. And then the hip very, very, very heavily influences the knee. So, you know, how each joint moves and then what the impact is of the joint above and below is a really important concept. Then we talk about what limits your range of motion. So can you dumb, dumb it down for me a little bit, range sure. of motion and how, what's, what's like a self-assessment for that? What do I, right? What do, if, if I'm an athlete and I'm, you know, want to improve my performance, then what, uh, what do I look for in terms of my personal, um, range of movement? How do I, how do I know if I have the, the possibility or capability of improving it? Mm-hmm. Um, 
assuming that there's no, you know, maybe, maybe there's no chronic pain. Sure. I exercise on a regular basis. I don't really have any chronic pain, but maybe I want to get faster. I want to get mm-hmm. more arrow on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to build endurance. What's, how what, do you test that? How do you, how do you test that? Or is there even a way to test that? Well, I think there is. And it depends on how far down that road we want to get. I mean, for me, I'll, I'll keep going and going and going. And I don't mind to do that because I think this is a really, really important concept. Um, range of motion. Let's talk about the components of range of motion because that, gives us an idea and then we can start to differentiate how to determine what limits our range and whether or not it is even limited. So I think in the the podcast that I did with uh, Matt and Andrea, I use the analogy of a nerve being like a mother-in-law. So a nerve is the boss typically um, in terms of hierarchy of importance. So if you're really, really aggravating a nerve, which is more like a rope than it is elastic, Okay. So if you're really, really aggravating that nerve and it does not want to glide through the tissue for whatever reason, let's say it's aggravated at your back and you're feeling resistance at your knee, or, um, you, you've got a, a muscle that's just too cozy with that nerve or, or, you know, really squeezing on, on the dural tissue of that nerve, um, then it's not going to move like it should. It's not going to want to move. And so it's going to tell the muscles, Hey, don't let me do this. I hate this feeling. Don't do it anymore. Those muscles are going to tighten up and restrict that particular range. Um, you know, not necessarily going in, um, a chronological order, but you might then have, um, the joint. If you're not going all the way through that range of motion, that joint capsule can tighten up. Um, or you're just not getting the uh, nutrients you need by moving that joint. And so what you might find is when you, for example, straighten your knee. So a lot of people think, oh, my hamstrings just feel chronically tight all the time. I stretch them, stretch them, stretch them. I swear I feel worse when I stretch my hamstrings. Or I feel like I don't get any better and I'm dependent on that. Well, what could that be? It could be the nerve. So if your nerve's not mobilizing through that tissue and every time you go to stretch your hamstring your nerve is lit up that rope is tugged and it doesn't want to be tugged your muscle hamstring um your gastroc or your one of your calf muscles that crosses the knee um or or multiple muscles feel tight they rebound they respond they don't want to do that so um Range of motion needs to be differentiated. We need to figure out why you're limited in a range of motion. Uh-huh. Um, and you have to understand, I think you have to understand that first so that you're not just checking, hey, my knee feels like crap. Let me check my range of motion to see if it's a problem. So once you understand um, the type of limitations that you can feel with with a limited range of motion, testing your range of motion can be simple. Look up... Um, Online is fine as long as you have a very trusted source. Look up what the limits should be. Okay. And you can go through, um, though you can mimic what you see online. Do it in front of a mirror. Okay. So let's say you're going to check your shoulder range of motion. What you could do is you could try to reach as far down your neck as possible. Like you're going to try to reach between, so elbow points to the ceiling and you're going to try to reach between your shoulder blades. Okay. See how far down you can go. And look at that in the mirror. Okay. So if your elbow, if you're trying to reach as far down as you can and you're, you have to really, really extend your back to do that, 
or kind of stick out your chest to do that, and you're not able to point your elbow up towards the ceiling, that's junky range motion. It doesn't matter how far down. Right. And you can you can do it comparatively, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that you helped me with was my shoulder impingement. So mm-hmm. like I already know well, I knew I knew before I came to you for help that I had an issue with shoulder mobility and range of motion. Right. Um just because I could compare my my left and my right side and they Absolutely. weren't the same. So that's probably a good um indicator for for some I think it's certainly a good start. Yeah. But again, going back to what is the limitation of this range of motion? So in the case of the, sh- of the shoulder, if you're comparing your left shoulder to your right shoulder, but the problem actually is that your thoracic spine or the area between where you would feel like your shoulder meets your neck uh-huh. and your mid back, if that area is really, really sticky and clumpy and you just can't extend through there. So you don't have the joint range of motion and you're what we call kyph kyphotic or rounded through that area, um, your shoulders might be equally as uh, restricted because the cause of that limitation in the range of motion wasn't directly at the shoulder. Okay. Um, but then I would say go even further. So once you check those ranges, you should be able to really overpress or kind of push into the last little bit of that end range of motion and it should not feel bad. And if it feels bad, why? So to really clear a range of motion, what you would do is you would go through all the planes of movement, which are going to be more planes of movement at your shoulder and your hip. Um, but you would go through all the, the planes of movement. And one, you'd do it slowly and with good quality through those range. And then you would push into the last bit of range of motion and there would be no problem in all of the, the planes. Okay. And I would say just as an ultimate goal as a human, you should be able to do that in all of your joints. And if you can do that, you're going to avoid problems. I mean, unless you run into a rock, you know, trying to barrel down a rock garden, you're going to be a really healthy mover. And how does age affect that? Well, age, quality of our tissue changes, certainly. Um, you know, we don't heal as, as fast and then we're more a product of our environment. So if you watch a child move, they move well. They're indigenous good movers. They're born to move well unless they have a problem. Right. right. They don't know any better. They don't know any better and they move they, so they well. They haven't developed any bad habits yet. Exactly. Yeah. So if you really want to know how to move, watch a child and mimic that child and see how hard it is for you to do that. Um, and I, I, by child, I mean, you know, obviously some, a child who can walk and squat. Watch a kid bend over and pick up a toy. They don't stick their butt out and straighten their legs and bend over to pick up that toy. They drop into this really, really nice deep squat. Typically their heels are on the ground while they do that. They've got just a little teeny tiny uh, external rotation or toes out position. And their back is in this very, very nice, healthy reversal of a curve. So, you know, typically um, if you think about yourself as a duck, Okay. And you have that little curve at your lower back. When you bend forward, you're able to reverse that curve nice and healthy and have full range of motion through there. So if you really want to analyze your movement and you don't want to do anything other than watch children, <laughs> you could approach it like that. And, and, um, so as we age, we become a product of our environment. So environment, we talk about what do you do for a job or what have you always done for a job? So are you sitting with your legs crossed and your trunk rotated to the left and looking at a computer that's on your right? Are you somebody who has the phone up to your ear and then you're scrunching that phone down to your shoulder? Um, or, you know, how have you been riding your bike? 
what environment are you putting yourself in when you get on your bike? Because that's really where the whole bike fit concept fits is it is a part of your environment. Um, and then, you know, how do you lift? How do you go pick something up? Because we only typically as humans, we only calculate how we lift heavy things. Well, that's not the repetitive aspect. How do you pick up a Kleenex off the floor? You know, how are you doing that? Right. Um, That's when everybody throws their back out, right, is when they're doing something <laughs> that they're not really thinking about and they, they do a weird movement that they that they wouldn't normally do? Well, I wouldn't say everybody throws their back out that way, but that's what we typically place blame on. Okay, you've been moving terribly for 10 years and wearing down the protective structures of your spine, and then all of a sudden you lift something too heavy and you're going to blame it on that. Well, fine, but all those one million times that you picked up a Kleenex wrong are actually the problem. You just have been working down those structures and they can't do what they need to do, and now you're going to load them really, really heavy. Now you're going to blame that particular activity on your disc herniation. I get that. I mean, that's how we are very much a product of our environment. We, we are feedback generated people. Um, but it's very important to realize that that's not the case. I mean, typically things are not insidious. Uh, they typically have a cause. Right. Um, and that's when it gets really frustrating for people. It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I slept wrong. That's the number one thing I hear. I hear it at least every day as a physical therapist. I slept wrong. Well, you may be sleeping wrong, not one time, but you may be sleeping wrong all of your life. But more than likely, we could talk about what you did yesterday or five days ago, and that's probably the cause. Um, and more importantly, what you've been doing for the last five years. Right. Sleeping wrong is just what you you have to have. We as humans have to blame something. So we say we slept wrong because you woke up with the pain. Yeah. But how about, how about sleeping wrong and sleeping positions? How important are those, um, as it relates to, to pain and mobility and everything else we've been talking about? Well, I think they're very, very important. So if, if we go in and we talk about environment again, we bring up that whole environment concept. Um, how we sleep, we have found recently is how we move or don't move. <laughs> so whatever position we're in the most during the day, we probably want to sleep in that position. So that means you're really sitting, heading sitting, down. Sleeping, a, sitting at your desk with your computer in front of you? Well, exactly. So if you think about it, if you're sitting at your desk with your computer in front of you and you have your thoracic spine or the area about uh, near your shoulder blades and that's always pulled forward and your neck, your chin is always extended, your, your neck's always extended, um, which is the common lazy position of focus, then you're probably going to sleep like that. So that's, you might be sleeping on your side with your chin stuck out, your back rounded, your knees curled up. And so we found that, what, again, whatever posture, whatever reinforcement, whatever feedback we're giving ourselves consistently throughout the day, we're going to want to recreate that at night. And so if you're someone who just doesn't care at all about your environment, you're not sitting up straight, or you can't because they're that's two different things. You can't just one day decide to sit up straight. Um, then you're going to carry that over at night. It becomes even harder to correct. Do you have any tips on how to improve your sleeping posture or re retrain Move better or throughout retrain the day. yourself? Okay. Yep. Ride your bike more. Uh, no, not, not uh, sure. Ride your bike more. If that means that you are happier <laughs> and you sleep better. It means I'm happier. Yeah, absolutely. If it helps your monkey brain, but, um, no, you, you need to be, 
more aware of how you're positioning yourself throughout the day. You and cannot it, ask yourself at night to be different than you were consistently throughout the day. Yeah. And it's all interconnected, right? I mean, Absolutely. if you sleep great, then you're going to ride better tomorrow sure. tomorrow, or you're going to work better tomorrow. You're going to be more productive. Um, whatever it is, it's, you know, sleep, sleep, eating and exercise or. Right. Those or, are the efficiency uh, points and going back to efficiency and why it even matters. Well, if you don't want to be doing three hours a day of unjunking yourself, you know, and, and mobilizing all your tissue that you own, then move better. And right. then you're efficient. And then you're only spending five minutes a day. Do I think that people need to um, be more mindful as movers? Yes. You know, how are you sitting? It does not mean, because most people don't know what good posture is. Most people think they um, basically stick out their chest. That's what people do. Stick out your chest, pull back your shoulders. Well, if your thoracic spine is junk, like we talked about earlier, you can't do that well. And so you're just going to be hinging at your lower spine. So do you think people, like there's a big a big craze right now with standing desks and there's yes. a pretty big um, craze with the the big inflatable balls that people sit on mm -hmm. instead of an office chair. Yeah. Um, those, if somebody has a bad posture sitting, mm -hmm. do they carry that over to, to a standing desk or to a big bouncy ball? Absolutely. So can you talk about how you, um, when, you, when you're at work and you, and you are sitting all day or you're mm -hmm. standing at a standing desk, how do you sort of look at your posture and, and find out what's correct and what's not correct and address right. that. Well, I think the component that we're missing with all of this is movement. So people are trying to desire all these static positions and we're just not static people. We should be moving. So if you're somebody who transitions all of a sudden from a sitting desk to a standing desk and you allow yourself to turn your feet out and um, rest your knees on the front of your desk and kind of stick out your pelvis and still slump, you're no better than sitting, especially if you're just going to hold yourself in a static position. So, uh, and, and maybe this is something that I need to own up to and put on the blog. What is good posture? What does good posture look like? That's probably a starting point and I'll, I'll make sure to do that this week. Um, but your feet should be forward and your hips, you, you shouldn't be resting on your ligaments. Okay. Or your bones. And that's a really important concept when you're standing. How do you know you're standing well? Well, you're not resting on a structure. So you're not jutting one hip out to the side, resting on, let's say you jut your left hip out to the side. You're uh, resting on the ligaments of the left hip and you're resting on the bone approximation of the right hip. Instead, what you do is you move. So we're not static creatures. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be moving. So if you're just standing in one position and you start to get irritated, uncomfortable, Shift your weight. So shift your weight a little bit to the right, shift your weight a little bit to the left, potentially put one foot up on a little step in front of you to unweight that leg, switch feet, put as long as your pelvis is level, as long as from side to side you're not, you're not dropping your pelvis. Those are all really great techniques to address how do we sit well? Well, just like sleeping. You know, you can really pad yourself up for success. It doesn't mean you need 35 pillows, but you might need a little lumbar roll at your lower back. Um, and the reason you put that lumbar roll at your lower back is so that you could um, relax your thoracic spine into the back of the chair. If you're sitting in somebody in, in something that um, will not lock. So let's say you lean to the back of that chair and it's almost like you're going to fall straight over, which is what I find with most office chairs. Throw it away. 
you deserve better than that. Um, get a, a rigid back chair that goes all the way, the, the back of the chair goes all the way down to the seat. Put yourself a little lumbar roll or um, roll up a towel and put it in your lower back. Get the back of your thoracic spine all the way to the chair. Even if you do that, even if you're a perfect sitter, which is no such thing, sitting is probably as bad as smoking, but even if you're a perfect sitter, you need to be up every 30 minutes. Okay. And I say 30 minutes because most people will say, ha ha, that's not possible. And I get that. I'm also, you know, a very driven person who likes to focus for periods longer than 30 minutes, but I'm not even sure cognitively you can focus for more than 30 minutes. And then your body, if it's not moving for that long, you're just sitting there in stasis, then, you know, you're, you're junk. So get up, walk to the fax machine, whatever you do, um, or do a couple little, um, lumbar presses where you extend your lower back a little bit, move, 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 move for, I don't know, 30 seconds to five minutes, depending on what your responsibility is there at work. Um, at least at the very, very least, if you care about yourself, get up every hour, you know, that's six times a day for those people who work eight hours, get up every hour. So makes sense. Yeah. Easy advice. Sure. And I think that's advice that most people have heard in the past, but we just don't, we need to hear it more yeah, and more and more and more. It's good to be reminded of that. It yeah. is. And to think a little bit differently about, um, about that. There's so. probably an app for that. There is, I'm sure. Yeah. Or there's a, an alarm, which is fine. Um, so what's next? What do you think? What's on your list? Well, I haven't even looked at the list once, so we kind of, um, I'm not even sure where we are on the list, but, um, let's talk a little bit about what to do. Why mountain biking is a problem. How about that? Why mountain biking is a problem? Yeah. Why, why it's I difficult. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a problem. Well, well, it is only if you, uh, don't consider some of the responsibilities. So, um, a lot of us have to drive to where we're going to ride. And so that means that we're probably sitting in that same dump position we've been talking about. Um, over the last, I don't know how many minutes. And then we get out of the car and we put our bike together. So we've been standing for a few minutes and some people may do a little cold stretching or what have you, and then jump on the bike and warm up and go. Uh, and then thinking about what we do afterwards. So we're probably in a hurry to meet some friends for a beer or go to a restaurant or get home to spend time with kids. And, um, there's, you just go from going really, really hard to static head home, and, and that's it. So some pretty good techniques, um, or just some things to think about thinking about facilitating the muscles you want to use while you're riding on the way to the ride. So, uh, probably the, the best thing you could possibly do is squeeze your glutes. So that could be a whole podcast in and of itself is how to squeeze your glutes because most people are glute ignorant, (laughs) (laughs) dumb butt syndrome. uh, I like to call it, but um, if you can't isolate one glute and then isolate the other one, how are you going to ride a bike? And you're I'm doing that right now just to see. If exactly. I, can. I do it all day long because, uh, it's one of the best things you can do. It's one of the best things you could do for your vascular system. It's a really nice technique that, that pilots use to make sure they don't pass out. You can do it when you're sitting in your office chair all day long. Right. You yeah. can do it all day long. Start to facilitate your glutes. Um, And then what that means is, so your glutes have a really important role on the bike, not only to help you crush the pedal, but also to protect your back. 
the more facilitated your glutes are, probably the more aggressive you can get in your lumbar spine. Um, so the more you can hover over your saddle to, um, in some of the technical parts, they're just a, a wonderful group of muscles. Um, but be aware one of your glutes, just as a really, really super low hanging fruit concept. Also be aware of how you feel. Be mindful of how you feel. What'd you eat? You know, um, what, what, what have you had to drink? What's your stress level? So are you super stressed? Your heart rate's really, really high. You know, if you are, then you're somebody that probably needs to work on some breathing before you jump on your bike. And breathing, breathing is a, um, is about as a hot topic right now as standing desks. Um, and it seems like kind of a sissy thing. Okay. Well, of course I can breathe. No, if you're a junkie breather, you're going to be a bad mountain biker, period. Um, and so learning how to breathe well is a really, really nice uh, concept. And you might need to do that before you jump on your bike. Nobody's going to know you're working on that. Right. Um, go ahead. No, I'll just oh. finish your thought. Uh, well, that's it. So the, if I had to pick two things to do before you jump on your bike, those would be the two things. And I mean, gosh, picking two things for a whole big group of people is kind of irresponsible for me. I mean, a lot of people might have things that would really help them mobility, stability wise before they jump on their bike. Um, but those are two really big things. So the, the exercises with your glute muscles, that's mm -hmm. sort of a replacement for a, for a warm up before you ride? No, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, absolutely not. If you really want to get as much as you can out of a ride, then you do some dynamic warm up. Okay. I've never once seen a mountain biker do a dynamic warm up. So if I came into the show and said, Hey, I really want you to go do a dynamic warm up, meaning like a knee to chest, um, a skip, B skip, things that you see uh, or have traditionally seen like a soccer player in a soccer field doing or um, a sprinter, those type of things would be wonderful. I realize that that would be um, a lot to ask starting out with listeners who don't know me. So um, I'm not going to tell you to do that unless you're just a really big go getter. And if you are look up some nice dynamic warm up techniques. Um, but if the very, very bare bones, here's what you definitely should do. Facilitate your glutes and, um, uh, breathe. Okay. Now, could I say to stretch your hamstrings? Well, again, I'm not a huge fan of cold static stretching. Um, and then I don't want to give a hamstring stretch out to the general public because I don't know if your uh, neural tension and, and the mobility of your nerve is the most junky part of, of your movement. So, um, certainly if you're tight in your hamstrings and you have traditionally felt better with stretching your hamstrings, definitely do. It'd be a nice thing to do, but I'd jump on the bike, warm up first and then jump off and do a little dynamic warm up of stretching your hamstring. <laughs> and then how about after the ride? Well, after the ride, if, if there were any prime time to do some mobility exercises, it would be after the ride. So, um, and as we go along in this podcast, I'll, I'll start to teach you some different mobility techniques. Um, if you're somebody who is a really big overachiever and you want to spend a good amount of time um, placing a good cognitive load and um, energy into something, which I think I strongly recommend, you could check out uh, Kelly Starrett and the Mobility Wad Crew, um, originally designed more for the CrossFit group, but has taken off and really gained some acceleration in just the general um, movement uh, of the human, um, people that have never considered doing CrossFit are, are doing some of his techniques and they're incredible. Um, but you know, something 
in in the realm of mobility. If you're just not going to do that, fine. By the end of this podcast, I think I'll be able, or the end of this series of podcasts, I think we'll be able to talk people into a few things. But um, something else I would say is throw on some compression socks. If you're somebody that um, needs to be riding all the way home, I don't know how long you have, even if it's 10 minutes, or if once you get home, you just plop and uh, that's the end of your your day, then compression socks are key. I mean, garbage in, garbage out, you know. Uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Groceries in, garbage out. Um, nutrients are one thing, but if you're not getting rid of all that junk, then you're only as good as, as what you're owning. And then um, I would say watch your vitals. So watch your vital signs. What's your heart rate doing? Um, if you really want to be a, a good athlete, check your blood pressure every once in a while and, and figure out when you have been able to reach your baseline. So what was your baseline on the drive in? And then when can you get back to that? When is your heart rate back to normal? Because if you're just really revving up the engine all the time and go, 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 you're low on your electrolytes, you're low on your fluids, um, you're stressed out, you wake up in the morning and you're already revved up and then you go ride your bike and you think that that makes you feel better and you're, you're, um, nervous system is relaxed, but your your vital signs, your your heart is still pumping as much as it can. Then you jump in your car and you you bend over, right? You make it even harder on your heart. So stand around, talk to your friends, talk about things that are nice and relaxing and exciting, um, and get your vital signs to calm down a little bit before you jump in the car and take off. So in terms of you know sports science, physical therapy. Um, Opinions, I would definitely say that. Now, when we talk about nutrition and um, from more of a dietetics standpoint, uh, in fact, I asked my sister Lauren Collins before this show, I said, what should you drink afterwards? I mean, I've asked her this many times before. I just wanted to make sure before I went on air and said it that I, I was right. But, um, you know, her big thing was sodium, potassium chloride. When we talk about electrolytes, I think that's what we're talking about. I'm sure that Kelly with the Apex show um, could add on to that. But yes, water. Um, I'm not sure about Gatorade. You know, there's some electrolyte waters out there that don't have as much crap in them as, as the Gatorade type, um, drinks. So prepare for that. Have a little toolbox with your compression socks and some cold fluids and, um, potentially a little bit of fuel. I don't know. It depends on how, um, you know, how you prepared yourself for the ride. I don't know if you need anything to eat, but I would imagine you want to eat between 20 and 40 minutes. So yeah. Yeah. I use Kelly's, um, post ride homemade chocolate syrup Perfect. recipe with a bunch of other goodies in it. So awesome. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. That's all. I think it's on her website. Um, just to go back to the, to the mobility thing after you ride, mm-hmm. is that, is that because it's, that's a good time to do it because you're obviously you're warmed up, your muscles have been used in whatever the, you know, the, you've, have you extended, the, have you extended the range of motion by, by riding for an hour or two hours. Oh, that's hours a or great whatever. question. How does that how does that work? What's the connection between or the riding and then doing the mobility exercises afterwards? And mm-hmm. and do you want to talk about what kind of mobility exercises people can do, or do you want to save yeah. that for another? Well, I think we'll save it because my goodness, I just looked at the time and I didn't realize how long we've been talking. But um, so what I would say is the reason to be mindful of how you're feeling on the way in is you want to compare that to how you're feeling on the way out. Right. So if you are somebody who feels like you just crank up your tissue the whole time you're out riding and your hips get really, really restricted or you're starting to feel some numbness and tingling in your feet, you know, I'm just throwing random things out there or 
you get a headache, you know, two hours after you ride, whatever you're feeling, if you're a movement disaster while you're riding your bike, you've got to own up to that after you're done. You know, if you're not somebody that wants to make some really nice environmental changes to your bike fit, then you're now a product of whatever you've been doing to yourself. And so if you want to continue to ride your bike, some mobility that's specific to cleaning up that disaster is really, really nice. That's where being a a little bit more in tune with your efficiency and effectiveness is the best way to go with that. So unless you're somebody that just wants to go, you know, people ask me all the time, what are five things I should definitely do? I'm sorry. I wouldn't be doing you any good by telling you five random things that might actually be completely worthless to you. Um, But, you know, we'll, we'll talk through how to know if you're a good mover, how you should feel and whatnot with this podcast, but have somebody help you identify some dysfunctional movements or some restrictions in range of motion um, and then compare pre-training, um, post-training, and then between sessions. So if you go out and you ride, and yes, doing mobility or stability or whatever you need to be doing um, when you're warm is wonderful. It's the best time. I mean, you you your vascular system is pumping really, really hard, so your tissue is perfused. It's ready to change um, potentially. Um, it, it, that's a really nice time to do it is after your ride, but knowing what to do is the key. So if you're just somebody who traditionally stretches a hamstring, stretches your pec, stretches your quad and move forward, well, you're only as good as what you're doing. And you know, if you've been doing that all your life and you have to do it now, find better answers or move on. Cause you probably have that mastered. Get you some know? help. Yeah. Get some help. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, pretty lengthy, but it's long, been fun. How long have we been talking? I have no idea. I, okay. I think it's going on two hours, so um, I wouldn't have guessed. But, um, you know, just to, to leave you with a good message and some hope, and in summary of what we just talked about, healthcare is changing. People are not. <laughs> so take on a little bit more cognitive load in the beginning or a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, funnel yourself into a healthier human. It's not that hard to do. And you're going to feel awesome as you ride your bike. Um, people get way too concerned with performance without thinking about the engine. So you can really, really rev up the engine. You can get a bigger engine, you can get a bigger car, <laughs> but if you're not thinking about the efficiency of that engine engine, um, see, I know I'm getting tired because I just, Combined engine and onion, I think. Maybe hungry too. But if you're not thinking about the efficiency of that, that engine, you're useless. I mean, you're just not sustainably improving yourself. Um, that's one thing. Bike fit is environment. That's where this, that's where it all falls in. You know, if you don't want to have a bunch of responsibility and junk to clean up every time you ride your bike and you don't want to feel like crap and you want to ride your bike a little bit longer than, you know, next year, then get a good bike fit. Um, and mobility, stability, or let's call it a, um, a responsibility that is individualized. So spending a little bit of time on yourself. Uh, traditionally I tell people, Hey, if you really want to be a good mover, you really want to feel good. You really want to be efficient and have good performance. 10% of, of the time that you spend on your bike or doing other things you should be spending to improve yourself. That's a really high number for some people. Um, and I get that. So you want to set yourself up for success. So start, I don't know, 10 minutes every three days, 
uh, a week, maybe three days a week. It's not that much. It's 30 minutes a week. I mean, you go to the bathroom that much time. So um, find the best things to do in those 10 minutes, three days a week. Set yourself up for success. Make sure you realize what you felt like before and what you feel like afterwards. Make sure that you are carrying over those improvements to the next time you do it, the next 10 minutes. And what you're going to find is, you know, it's like jumping on the scale. Hey, I, the scale is is smaller. If you're not doing anything measurable, you're not doing anything objective, you're going to get lost. It's going to stink. You're not going to want to do it. So find some objectives and, and some measurable goals and check them. Make it a habit. Yeah. So if people have questions for you, how can they... How can they find you? Well, you can find me, uh, you can find my information on pedalfitpt.com. Uh, one goal for me this week, you know, this is all very, uh, sort of a new venture to talk to a large group of people. Um, and so this is a project for me as well. I'll be, uh, putting a lot of effort towards this too, to be able to make a, um, a platform for people to communicate. Uh, for now, you can email me or call me. It's fine. Um, uh, but I'd really like to be able to get a nice feed. Um, and buff up the uh, blog so that people can start to communicate not just with me but with other people. And then uh, a lot of people have the same questions, so we'll start to see trends and and find some answers. So I'm really looking forward to being able to provide for the uh, cycling community um, uh, a nice jumping board. Do you have an email address you want to give people? Sure. Uh, it's natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at pedalfitpt.com. You can always uh, find me on Instagram, pedalfitpt, or Facebook, um, even though I deleted that from my phone to make room for uh, time for mobility myself. Um, and then, uh, let's see, what else? Google. Yeah. I think Google. I, there's some videos and whatnot. I think at some point we'll have a show page, um, but you can also filter questions through mountainbikeradio.com. Um, oh, exactly. Some, somebody, somebody there, somewhere there's an email address and Ben can get, uh, get questions to us. So any, right. anything that you want to know about, we'd appreciate, uh, some feedback. Yes, exactly. Um, we would love to know what you want to hear. Our goal today was to talk about some very, very, very broad topics and sort of open up a couple different ideas. And then we want to know what people want to hear. Move people, move, move. <laughs> All right. It was great talking to you. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Wausau 24 for sponsoring this episode. Head over to Wausau24.com and hurry up, people. They are giving you 15% off, but only for a few more days. You have until July 15th to type in the code July 15 into the box at registration and uh, get yourself 15% off. <laughs>